Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, or you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So with that being said, I have with us Third Wave Cafe, Greg Rips out of Melbourne, Australia. How are you doing today, Greg? Good, 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 good. Oh, yeah. I'm very good myself. Thank you. So, Greg, tell us a little bit your story, how you became an entrepreneur, why food, and um, and sort of what your journey was like to to become, to create Third Wave Cafe in Australia. The mic's yours. Um, yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> I fell into this business by accident, effectively. Um, what, uh, what happened was I used to run a uh, property development company that uh, failed and I had nothing to do. My wife said, how about we start a cafe? She wanted a cafe for a while. I said, listen, I don't know anything about this business. Um, I've been going to lots of cafes in my life. So I've I've seen it on the front end. I've never seen it on the back end. I've got nothing better to do. So yep, let's do it. Um, thinking that, that um, it would be similar to other businesses and thinking that I am reasonably okay at marketing so therefore it should pull us through so that's how i fell into into this business where we uh, effectively bought a rundown place and uh, and then created uh, created something much bigger out of it because i just couldn't let it be that little little rundown place that we originally originally purchased so when you purchased um, it so since then we built it to a much uh, much much uh, bigger business so it's not a little cafe it's more a restaurant now we're not really a cafe anymore and uh, it, we've got uh, different uh, aspects to our business we've got the restaurant we've got catering we've got a dark kitchen we've got um, uh, yeah all, all sorts of different uh, areas of, of business that are not the, not the original cafe and the original cafe basically took a back seat so when you acquired this place, I mean, you're talking about it was run down or and you need to do work to it. So how did you, one, do the work to it? And then two, how did you come up for a, with a menu for this new restaurant or cafe endeavor that you guys took on? Yeah, okay. So basically, we just sort of, uh, given that I've been to a lot of cafes in my life, I started thinking about what... Uh, what, what what worked, what didn't work uh, in the places that I've been to, what uh, uh, what I would have wanted to eat that wasn't there or that was there that I enjoyed, and put together put together a menu uh, menu based on those sorts. However, what we're doing now is very 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 far removed from uh, what that was then, uh, so it's completely completely different, effectively. So talk to me about this journey because I know now you're like American style food in Melbourne, Australia. But how did you get there? How do you you know what's different about the way you do things versus other restaurants? Like you said, you just couldn't let it die. So you're in dark kitchens, I believe. It's like what we call in America ghost kitchens, or um, uh, I can't remember the other term. Cloud kitchens. We use the term also. Well, cloud kitchens, dark kitchens. Yeah, there's lots of lots of, lots of terms for. Yeah. For, for that. All right. So uh, let me tell you about the journey that uh, uh, that we had. So basically, as a, as a cafe, Australian planning laws at that time in that particular spot did not allow us to open at night at all. So the place just traded uh, seven days a week from seven in the morning till 3 p.m. And we're not, we weren't allowed to open uh, in the evening. So we had to go through 
various legal proceedings to get us to a position where we could open at night, at which point we sort of sat down and said, well, what do we do now, now that we can open at night? It has to be a different menu. It cannot be, cannot be a cafe menu. It has to be something, something else. Um, and I've been watching all of those uh, shows on TV, you know, Men vs. Food and uh, other, other shows like it. And uh, on, on TV, every time somebody had an American barbecue, um, their eyes rolled back in their head because they, they enjoyed it so much. And, I, and I've never tried, uh, I've never tried the, this type of food. Uh, I've been to America prior, but I've never tried that kind of uh, cuisine. But given that this was happening, I thought, well, maybe this, this would be a good candidate as, as it's different to the usual, you know, the French, the Italian, the, the pizza, the this, the that, that, that usually, usually happens at night. So problem is that in Australia at that time, that was 2012, there was, pretty much no one serving this type of cuisine and certainly no chefs no knew how to smoke meat. There was just, there wasn't, there wasn't a thing. So what had to happen is I had to actually spend three to four months learning how to do it myself. Even though I'm not a chef, never have been and never will be, but um, I had no choice. There was no one that could help me. So lots how, of YouTube, how, how did lots you, of... How did you do that? Yeah, let's get into this because that's yeah, yeah. not an easy thing to learn. Well, it, it was okay. It was it was interesting. I don't mind. I don't mind cooking. So it was it was interesting. So lots of YouTube, lots of books, lots of blogs, um, just a, a lot of research, and then a lot of uh, testing, basically. And because I had to work during the day, it was a lot of waking up at night uh, <laughs> uh, to wrap, to you know, to 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 change, to do this, to do that, because it does need. It does need tending, and it can be left. Uh, it can be left on its own for a very long time. Um, so, basically, that's what happened. My my family was happy because they got to eat, um, you know, tens of kilos, uh, uh, literally a couple of hundred pounds of meat. Um, that that was basically just me trying different uh, different alternatives, etc. Um, so. After spending about three to four months doing that, I think I worked out what what it's supposed to be. the The interesting story also is that uh, before doing that, I actually went to one and only place that served American barbecue in Melbourne at that time, and I thought it, what they served was absolutely crap. Um, so I thought there's no way, there's absolutely no way that people on TV roll their eyes from pleasure at eating this kind of food and eating that food that I tried in, in Australia. So, um, yeah, I spent time developing all of these recipes and in the end found that, yeah, it makes sense. I understand why, because it's it can become so juicy, so flavorful, um, just a, a very, very different experience to everything else that you could have with meat. Uh, once I've developed the recipes that we're actually still serving, to tell you the truth. And so the the menu now the menu has been is grown. You talked about it growing into the nightlife. You talked about it growing from breakfast into dinner and into barbecue. Like, what's your most popular items on your menu? What are the things that people keep coming back for? And what's your favorite things on the menu? Okay, so um, so basically the the. Just to continue the story, um, so we opened at night and we started serving American barbecue, and that was reasonably successful. We still had, we were still running, effectively running as two businesses. We were a cafe during the day and we were a restaurant at night. 
uh, and and there were some overlaps uh, with the menu. So we did serve uh, we did serve barbecue during during uh, from lunch onwards, um, and we served burgers from lunch onwards, and that continued for for a few years. Uh, at, at which point, in about two fifteen to sixteen, we've discovered the the power of social media, and we've discovered um, what what worked uh, in social media, what actually created an interesting interesting following. And that, uh, and that, we followed that formula ever since, and it served that served us exceptionally well. So what we started doing is we started coming up with, uh, how would I how would I call it, uh, slightly over the top, more Instagrammable in nature, more uh, dishes that basically create a wow. But since then we've made it we've made it a much more streamlined um, operation. In that, what we try to do with every single special that we create is um, inject theater into the food. Okay, so what we've what we worked out is that people go out for uh, to to a restaurant to eat, and they go out they go out primarily to eat. Well, obviously, service is important, and if the service is good, the 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 food is a little bit better. But really, if the food was amazing, and the service was bad, you'd still go out there. If the service, if the service, um, if the food was bad, the service was amazing. You're probably not going to come back. Um, and what we what we found is that people go out to eat and spend money on the food, and then separately they go out to be entertained to shows, etc., and spend money on the time and the entertainment. There is there is not many places out there that combine the two. Um, and uh, Essentially, by combining the two, what we've done is we've given the customer much better value for the dollar they spend because they still come just to eat, but they also get entertained. And that entertainment is something that they would normally pay extra for. So what I mean by entertainment is we created this uh, the some some dishes. Every, every single month, we bring out two specials that basically uh, change every single, every single month, and they have lots of theater injected in them. And the theater basically means that when, when they come out, most of the time people say, wow. So the, the first word that comes out of their mouth, the first word they think, whether they, like, whether they want to or not, um, is to say, wow. How does that work? Well, dishes uh, could be extremely large. They could be uh, very interestingly plated. They could be doing something. They could be smoking. They could be under a cloche with something else. Um, they, they, could be, uh, they could be stacked um, in in a way that people would never have expected. Uh, to give you an idea, we have a, a a wheelbarrow challenge where we would bring out uh, a platter a platter of different meats in in a wheelbarrow. So people had no choice but to be amazed at that. We have a um, something called a Lambo where the whole uh, leg of lamb was slow smoked and brought brought out standing up. Um, on a, on a platter, uh, we are about to release a shovel nachos where you would, uh, at your table, a whole shovel of nachos, completely completely loaded, would be brought to your table and shoveled onto your, onto your table, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So w- this is what I mean by entertainment. So we we've realized that that seems to work, and we are constantly in research and development mode in creating two new specials every single month that would have these elements where. Effectively, people are entertained, and uh, and obviously it's tasty. Obviously, it has to it has to be tasty and flavorful, etc. But um, it also has to have entertainment, and that's really what propelled and driven our 
uh, business forward. That's what's doing all the heavy lifting of our marketing. And that's what's making our uh, videos on socials go quite significantly viral. I love this because I think it's important that you that you deliver an experience, but you also you capture it and it's easily people can see it, people can share it, people are going to generate the social media that you're looking for. Um, and it also benefits your business, attracts people in, and then obviously you guys make money and impact um, through that. How do you find the right team members in your business or the employees, whatever you guys call them, to to take on this sort of showtime, this this entertainment, and deliver to the, your customers the high service, the high American cuisine barbecue that you're trying to do? Um, okay, well, team members, it's a difficult thing everywhere on the planet, I think. Um, I think it was always difficult in hospitality, and I think it got a lot more difficult after COVID. Um, don't know really why, but it is what it is. Um, how do we find team members? Through a lot of, look, I don't have a silver bullet. All I say is that we find them through a lot of searching. Basically, we spend, um, we never, ever stop hiring. We never, ever stop advertising. We never, ever stop running trials. We never, ever stop the process of actually getting uh, getting more, more team members. And the reason for that is because we're finding that the majority of applicants, great majority, we're talking about 99%, are not hireable by us. Maybe they're hireable by somebody else, but maybe our standards are too high. I don't know what it is, but what I'm finding is that majority of people are not uh, are not good enough as far as we're concerned to work with us, and therefore we have to continue looking for the diamond in the rough that uh, that we can actually hire. And the only way to do that is never stop. So we spend uh, an absolutely ridiculous amount of money on ads, on various trials, on potentially hiring people that we think will suit, but we end uh, end up not working together. So therefore, that's a wasted cost. So it's a very, very high cost for us to find the right team members. Unfortunately, I don't have a better uh, better answer for you on that question. No, no, I think that's exactly the answer. <clears throat> I think it's hard to find the people that you want in your business, the ones that meet the culture that you're building, that continue the momentum, momentum that you're talking about. What are some of your favorite show times? I mean, what are some of the cool things that you thought you guys have done or some of your favorites maybe that you've created that have really brought this entertainment value home or or what was one of your most successful ones? Um, well, the most successful, so what, what happens with these specials is that we never actually put them on the menu. Um, we we purposely, they, they exist for a month and they disappear. So this is, this is a little bit of the scarcity McDonald's effect where they bring out um, something like a macrib every, I don't know, two or three years, and they make it disappear in three months so that people uh, people come out of the woodwork. So we want to create that that effect every single month so that, you know, you either, if you if you like it, you you better get it that month or, or not. So, um, uh, but there was one, one uh, two dishes that we ended up, ended up putting on, on the menu because they were so popular and we had so much, so much requirement requests. Uh, after it uh, left uh, left the specials menu to bring it back, uh, one of them is called rib of lucky. Essentially, it's a savlaki. I'm not sure. Do you know what a savlaki is? Yep, absolutely. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a Savlaki, the third wave way. So obviously it's got a, it's got a, a whole beef rib together with a bone in it. It's got three different meats. It's about the size of a four to five normal Savlaki's. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's got a side of, and it's got a side of loaded fries on, on the side of it. But it also comes under a cloche, which is full of smoke. So uh, from a customer's experience, what happens is that when, when it's arrived to your table, you, you've got a board and a, and a cloche. And you don't actually see what's under there. So when you open it, there is a huge amount of plume of smoke that escapes, and you see this uh, this uh, uh, interestingly interestingly presented huge thing in front of you. So that was so popular that we've actually had to put it on a menu. And since we put it on a menu, it has consistently been sort of the third, fourth bestseller in the restaurant. Um, so that, that, that's one. The other one is uh, was was something that we've created and actually gone completely global. It's called the Thor's Hammer. Um, so we've now seen it repeated around the planet by all sorts of different chefs on, on socials, etc. Uh, what it is, it's a it's a quite a large uh, beef shank that's slow smoked, and you've got you. And it looks like a hammer because it's got the the meat on the bottom. And it's got a huge bone protruding from it. Um, and that's served uh, in a, a large uh, sort of metal uh, metal plate with half of it filled with mac and cheese, the other with chips, and it's got some oink balls, which is another invention put into it with some claws as part of the dish because you need to claw the meat off that bone uh, and you can pull it apart to whatever you like. So that presentation and that, that dish, again, was asked so many times after it became special and because it's gone completely viral around the planet we put that on 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 the menu as well so that that's uh from from seven or eight years of doing specials every month those are the only two that actually found their way on the menu and they, they were extremely successful uh, our specials generally we do them uh they they potentially add to the to the total revenue but the prime primary reason for them is to drive the marketing um, and for for people to come and try something different every single month, if that's what they desire. So hopefully that answers that question. It absolutely answers my question, and um, I think that this is really cool because you never intended to be in the restaurant business. You never intended to be a food entrepreneur. F- it just sort of is what life gave you. It's the door that opened up for you. When one opportunity ended, another one opened up for you. So what would you say, what do you, what did you, or what do you find the most fascinating about food? Because you weren't in it before necessarily, although you love to cook, you said. So what has this transition been like? What's it like to be a food entrepreneur? What are some of the things that you're excited about? What are some some things that you're not so excited about in your daily life having to to deal with this as a a very successful growing business? Um, well, look, the the exciting part is I like the creative element of it. So, um, you know, in in our particular business, coming up with new things all the time, therefore always be on be on the lookout for ideas, concepts. That's interesting. I like the research and development part of it that, that in, in our business happens all the time. Um, I like coming up with uh, new new methods of doing things, trying them out. It's just something in me that just likes that research and development and trying new stuff. The the uh, dealing the the having customers that enjoy what you do is 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 quite quite exciting and enjoyable. Uh, 
the the negative of this business is obviously dealing with stuff that would be negative of any business but in this uh food food industry hospitality industry is especially tough in in my opinion i've been in other industries in my life and i think i don't think there is a there is a harder industry than the uh than the hospitality industry to to manage everybody because this the uh the staff is so transient especially especially in australia the front of house basically is not a career career option so what happens is that the people that are working in it are working in it to move into something else and therefore they're not really that invested in doing what they're doing today because they know absolutely without a doubt that tomorrow they'll not they'll not be doing it so how do you incentive incentivize people that have no interest in following through long term uh, it's a difficult one um and uh, and back of house chefs chefs are an interesting uh interesting uh type of people they they probably like doing things new things all the time therefore they come and go although in our in our business we've been able to create enough incentive for people to stay as long as 11 years with us uh, some people stay 11 years some people seven some people eight so we've had very long term employees and that's great um but uh but uh quite a quite a large number would come and come and go consistently because they just want to try out different things and that that sort of makes sense um so uh yeah dealing with staff is probably one of the hardest uh, harder things to do dealing dealing with constantly satisfying continually increasing demands from customers is not easy what we're finding is that uh customers uh the the quality of service the quality of food the quality of everything that's presented in hospitality at the very least in melbourne is on the increase never ending increase right uh which basically means that everybody has to has to catch up every new place that opens they are able to somehow provide a slightly higher level of something and therefore if you don't compete with that you are going to be left behind after after a while and that's and that's not an easy thing to constantly constantly try to increase the value proposition that you are presenting to the customer through service etc when customer is always on a constant um, higher and higher demand curve uh, of what what they want i don't know why it's happening i guess it's just competition um it wasn't like that uh, a while back so uh, and and then just uh the other thing that really annoys me but it maybe just me is that constant breakdown of equipment you know you have to constantly chase and spend a ridiculous amount of money on 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 maintenance of maintenance repair uh upgrade replacement of equipment that just never ends whatever whatever budget i put up every year for repair repair and maintenance it's always blown out of the water by the end of the year I can't, I can't do anything about it maybe i'm just stupid and i can't allow enough money but um <laughs> i increase it every year and it increases anyway i find the same thing with equipment particularly in the food service business it just never seems to um never seems to ever not be in a constant rotation or not needing to constantly pivot and trying to figure out what you need to do in order to get your equipment up and running or what equipment you need to adjust to so you make sure you have equipment it's like or can get food out the door or what's going off your menu today to to make sure everyone keeps going it's things like that that i always find interesting um and the equipment it's just the order it gets the more problems you have and it's the thing that produces the food so <laughs> employees and the equipment and even if it goes to robots you're just going to have something else something else to maintain i feel like so 
Um, yeah, robots is something that uh, we've certainly been thinking about, and uh, um, from from uh, superficially from looking at it, obviously uh, robots are easily replaceable, easily um, substitutable. So it, it's uh, our, our, uh, my feeling. My feeling is that the industry is moving towards automation, and that somewhere ten years from now. Uh, there will not be any waiters in anything other than fine, under the fine dining level. And uh, the, you, you, customers will all order food themselves. Food will come out to them on a on a robot. They'll pick it up themselves. Uh, the only people that'll be there, they'll be cleaning the table uh, potentially, and and that's it. Uh, and the back of house is going to be at least half automated. That's that's my view of where we're going. I agree with you a lot, and I think that the while we want customer service in our generation once, at least my generation once, the person and we want the connectivity and and we're you know while we use cell phones and we use emails and stuff like that, the the next generation, the younger kids, they are used to ordering things off a of DoorDash. They don't want there. People are leaving food at their door. They do not even care anymore about what their experiences or whatever they want to be able to order their food and have one someone bring it to them and they want to be able to continue their conversation on their phone or with themselves whatever it looks like at least here in the united states i agree that this is something that we are looking at um and i think from a robot standpoint the other issue at least we're having in the united states is we don't have enough employees to do the jobs anymore so like we just have a shortage of number of employees in the market so there's that issue as well for at least us here in terms of us trying to figure out how do we actually um support our businesses how do we become food businesses of the future when there's no you know no real ability to get enough people or even get the equipment or now what's happening in the united states which is there's not enough people trained in to service the equipment to keep it maintained and that's the other issue, you know, so I think that's part of being an entrepreneur and that's part of being a food entrepreneur is you're the ones willing to, to handle these obstacles. So what does the future hold for you, uh, Greg? Like, where are you hoping this business goes? Like, how are you seeing it grow in the future? You mentioned a dark kitchen. Like, what does that look like? Um, like, what are some of the things that you're doing now to, to progress into the future? Well, just to continue the conversation about automation, so we are we are an interesting uh, test case in that uh, post COVID. So COVID in COVID in Melbourne was uh, was an exceptionally bad experience, where Melbourne was the most or second most lockdown city on the planet. So we had to we had to pivot, we had to re- recreate the business model, we had to do all sorts of different stuff. How does the restaurant operate when it's closed? Um, yeah, so we had to we had to do that, and we were closed for over a period of two years. I think we were closed for about a year and a half, like locked down completely, where people couldn't leave their houses. Um, so um, one of the things that we've done after after that lockdown finished, and two years two years ago when we got reopened, two and a half. Um, well, actually, it hasn't been two years; it's been just a year. Uh, we only left with uh, QR, QR code menus. So we don't actually have physical menus um, any longer. So we transitioned to QR menus where customers would order themselves from a, from a QR code, from a menu. Um, this We were fairly unique in doing that. Most other businesses 
uh, had a QR code, but they also had a physical menu. So customers could actually request a physical menu if they wanted to. We basically abolished physical menus. And we saw what the reaction was uh, by the average average customer. The average customer uh, basically broke down into about 30% hated it, absolutely despised it with a passion. About, uh, about 50% were neither here or there, they didn't mind. And, and the rest actually loved it. Uh, in my experience, if I go to a restaurant these days and I don't see a QR code for ordering, um, I think I get a, a, a bad, bad service because um, that means I have to spend time waiting for a waiter to show up. I have to maybe try to catch their attention. That, that means I, I, have to, I have to spend more time ordering than I, that I absolutely need to. That means I'm, not, I'm going to get less information because you can put a lot more information on, the, um, on a digital menu than on a physical menu. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, it's a worse, uh, worse experience for me, but some people don't, don't, don't believe that. Um, because in most places, as you said, there is not enough stuff, there's not enough trained stuff. So therefore, these days, a front of house member, uh, a waiter, doesn't really add any value to your experience because they haven't been trained enough. If they were perfectly trained, yeah, absolutely, they would be a valuable part of, of a restaurant experience. But because they weren't trained, all they do is take your order and make mistakes. Right, and that's that's really uh, that's really all that happens. So I can I can do my order quicker without any mistakes, and 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 be be happier be happier with it and a quicker quicker way of paying. So that's that's the experience that we've had with uh, with digital digital ordering within the restaurant inside the restaurant, and we will certainly continue continue doing that. Um, in regard to uh, future plans, so yeah, look, dark kitchen. We've been we've been running what's called dark kitchens, before they were called dark kitchens, before knew, anyone knew what they were dark kitchens, where I realized that you could potentially uh, run multiple multiple similar menus as a virtual restaurant, effectively. We call it virtual restaurants because they only exist virtually. They don't exist in physical form. Um, so we actually have about 10 different brands coming out as virtual restaurants. We've got uh, uh, Healthy Bowl brand. We've got uh, Greek. We've got um, Mexican, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, and the beauty behind those is that the the actual uh, ingredients um, are very similar within within a different brands. All we do is effectively repackage because how is how is a savlaki different to a burrito? It's it's basically a different package of similar ingredients. So uh, so what we what we've found was a way to create multiple menus out of uh, out of made a few core ingredients with a few few modifications and therefore they could be called uh, different uh, uh, different brands uh, different cuisines etc so and then the next expansion path is we're about to engage on the on the franchising path where we, we're hoping that we can attract enough people that are interested in what we do uh, to open open uh, other venues across Australia, potentially potentially the world, as we're getting uh, lots and lots of requests on on our social pages uh, to open here, there, and everywhere after people see our food. Well, and I, I'm sorry. I mean, I you also mentioned like a different variation on your Instagram. I saw you guys have like 12 different burgers. Like talk to me about the 12 different burgers also, because I think you have a lot of variety. You have a lot of things that you guys are good at. You have these 
different kitchens that are going in the burger thing which is how i found you guys in the first place i think i tracked down some of your burgers um tell me about those like what are they how do you come up with those um specifically yeah so burger burgers so really the burgers came from um it's a it's a lower cost option because american barbecue in australia is quite it's well it's not expensive but it's not cheap okay uh in uh, in in America, that type of cuisine is pri- we're priced at about the same level in in Australia as you guys are on the east and west coast, but not in not on middle, middle America. Middle America serving this 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 type of food is about thirty to forty percent cheaper than Australia is. Whereas if you go to New York and you get barbecue, or if you go to LA and get barbecue, it's about the same price as, as it is in Australia. So what what we needed is we needed a lower lower price point. Um, something, but given that uh, given that we already started down the American cuisine, we didn't want to stray too far from it. So burgers was it, and then just a matter of developing uh, developing uh, different uh, different burgers. So uh, some of our burgers came out of again reuse of the uh, slow smoked meats. So we've got about four or five burgers that effectively, instead of burger patties, they they have the slow smoked meat. Uh, in them, like uh, deboned beef ribs, and pulled pork, um, and a lamb lamb shoulder that we smoke, etc. So they they've got those meats in them, and then the other the other burgers uh, there, are, there are some vegetarian ones, um, and 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 some more traditional uh, cheeseburgers, etc. Just a little bit more elevated. We don't do anything basic. We always try to elevate everything as much as we can, within the uh, within the pricing and and the uh, ability to to charge what we need to charge at a lower price point. So to so that means that if you came to us for uh, American barbecue in American dollars, you would be spending around 35 to 40 US per head. But if you came to us for burgers, you'll be spending sort of 12 to $25 per head. I like that a lot. I think I get why they're on the menu and I get why you're doing it. So. What are your biggest inspirations in life right now? What are your biggest motivations? What keeps you going every day? What keeps you burning the the midnight oil, for lack of a better term, to even get on a call like this? Why do you why keep going? Um, well, you know, getting on a call like this sounds interesting. You know, I always love to talk to talk to people about uh, what they're doing, what we're doing, what can we learn, etc. In regard to uh, in regard to what's happening in the business, well, look, we we're now we're now entering this franchise phase. I'd like to I'd like to be able to to expand, given that we have so many people interested in in uh, in us being here, there, and everywhere. And I think it's a it's a whole new challenge. Ultimately, in business, um, I like business for the challenge uh, of it. You know, it's not for everybody. I get it, but for me, uh, I don't mind I don't mind a challenge. I don't like I don't mind a problem to solve. Uh, I, I I like solving problems, getting and 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 getting a successful solution basically that, that that's that's something that drives me certainly very cool where can they find you online how can they find your web page like where can they look you up um oh well okay so thirdwavecafe.com.au is the website and everything is uh, available from there all our socials will be available from there uh third wave cafe uh on facebook 
is also is also visible. So unfortunately, we're not really a cafe anymore. But Third Wave Cafe is the um, the brand that originally started, and I can't really change it because uh, Third Wave was taken. Um, therefore, I, I can't I can't change it and remove the cafe. So we're stuck with that uh, with that moniker forever. But ThirdWaveCafe.com.au is where everybody can find us. Cool. And you mentioned your family. Uh, are they involved in the business? Uh, do you have kids? Are they started getting involved in the business? Are they part of the legacy? You think? Um, do they enjoy food if if they are involved? Well, yes. So I have two kids, and they grew up grew up with this. Uh, my wife was involved in the business for about a decade. She's she's not as involved anymore. Um, and uh, and the kids. Uh, the the son is not really involved, but my daughter is actually uh, a a manager in the business now, and she's uh, running running front of house. She sort of grew up with it, so she she knows all the ins and outs. She's finished uh, university and just uh, said, "Okay, I'll, I'll 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 do this." So yes, absolutely, the family is involved in the business. Very cool. Um, I really like that. I think it's important, and. From a leadership standpoint, as as you lead this business forward and you lead your family, what are the leadership values you think are qualities that you have or that you're you look for in your business that you think that are important? Because I think that to get eleven years, twelve years down the road that you've you've gone in business, it takes a lot of leadership. It takes a lot of fortitude. So, what are those leadership skills that we're talking about that you feel have really gotten you to where you are? Look, I can't. I couldn't tell you with with any certainty what was it. Uh, I can tell you what I would like to see from a leader, and that I would normally uh, emulate or do. Um, and that is, um, I never shied away from doing the hard work or the dirty work, and everybody saw that. So uh, there was there was time when. Uh, my uh, all all my people saw me washing dishes, and and carrying stuff from from place to place, and unloading and loading, and all sorts of different tasks that you know somebody in management would under normal circumstances not do. But uh, I've never shied away from it because I don't see any difference between me and anyone else really working working in the restaurant. The other the other thing that uh, I really like about other leaders and certainly try to do is uh, quick and certain decision making. So I think one of one of the things that makes makes everyone very nervous around you is if whoever is in a leadership role is not able to come up with a final decision and move on it and act uh, act on it uh, and deliberates and deliberates and doesn't give anybody certainty. So giving people certainty about what happens either in a normal operations or under extreme operations or emergency operations make everybody a lot feel a lot safer, a lot more sure what's going to happen, um, and, and therefore everybody can just get on with business and not worry about uh, uncertainty. Uh, uncertainty just kills morale as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, uh, and, and finally, uh, just uh, potentially... With, with leadership, if a leader comes up with concepts that actually work, okay, that just builds more and more certainty or belief in the fact that, that where, where people are, they, they're in the right place. 
right? And that somebody is going to take care of them because they keep coming up with new concepts, new processes, new ideas that seem to work. Obviously, not everything works. Probably more things, much many more things don't work. But there's enough things that work and people see it that they then uh, build a certain level of potentially respect, but just ultimately, I don't really mind respect or not. It's just certainty that things are, things are going well and that somebody is constantly on a lookout uh, and in action to do something else, to do it better, to improve things. Very cool. I love it. Is there anything that you want to share with the audience or you want to share with the world or you want, want to make sure that gets out there to anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur or is thinking about going into the food space that you'd want to share before we end everything? Yes, there is a thing that bothers me about every business. Well, I should, shouldn't say every, but let's just say the majority of businesses out there um, in any field, but certainly, definitely food business. Okay, is that food food business is extremely finicky when it comes to costs. Okay, costs can blow out in the space of a second. It is very difficult to uh, to predict what your what your costs are going to be due to the fact that uh, labor changes uh, in its efficiency, in its cost, uh, food changes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what businesses are not doing is they're not pricing their product correctly. And this is my gripe for every single business. I, I walk into a business and I just feel sorry with, with most businesses I walk into because they're just leaving a ridiculous amount of money on the table for absolutely no reason. Um, everyone that's scared about raising their prices should not be. Everyone that's scared about raising their prices, uh, they don't seem to understand the maths. And I'm going to little uh, talk talk a little bit about the maths, even though I sound pretentious, but I'm going to do it anyway, because if that helps anybody, I, I think I think it's a good idea. So if you are, uh, uh, everybody's everybody's income comes from the top line of the business. So in other words, if you if if it costs you let's say ten thousand dollars a month to open your to open open your doors, um, and you and you have uh, let's say ten thousand dollars in sales, well you broke even. Let's just do very basic numbers uh, without being complicated about it, right? Uh, so if you turned over eleven thousand dollars, then hopefully you made a thousand dollars. But that thousand dollars comes from that additional thousand dollars in turnover. So it's from the absolute last dollar is where you make your profit, right? So the, given given that given that, if you increase that last dollar a little bit, your profit increases exponentially. So in other words, under the same example, if if it costs you ten thousand dollars to open your doors and you turn over $11,000, uh, then you made $1,000. But if you turn over $12,000, it didn't cost you any more than $10,000 to open your doors. So now you've doubled your profit. You went from making $11,000, from $1,000 to $2,000. And to do that, you had to increase your prices by about 9%. And I don't know of any business that's in food industry today that cannot tomorrow increase all their prices by 9% and not have... 100% of their customers still buy from them. Okay, and how much how much um, benefit would increasing their profit by 100% be to the majority of business owners out there? Does that make sense? It's 100% true. Also, I think people are so afraid of raising their prices and scaring off their customers. Um, that they're then, I mean, here's the reality. <clears throat> if people are only coming to you for the price of your food, 
then you're not doing the thing right in the first place. You don't have enough value. We talked about entertainment and showtime. There's a lot of value there. And if the food's good and people are wanting it, they're willing to go with the increases. It's happening all around us, actually, at least in the United States, because we have inflation going on with food. But prices are increasing. They have to be. Our businesses are going to go under. So um, I agree That's with you. That's true. I just, don't, I just don't think they're increasing enough. And I don't think, uh, I don't Agreed. think uh, restaurateurs are doing a good enough job for themselves just to make sure that they're because a, a, a business a business is that thriving has to be extremely profitable a business that is not profitable it's not thriving it's dying even a, a business that's not extremely profitable a business that's that's losing money certainly is dying but a business that's not profitable is dying because the uh, the owner cannot have money to spend on better staff, to spend on improvement, to spend on maintenance, to spend on all that. All of that comes from profit, right? Uh, and if you don't make if you don't make uh, a lot of profit, you can't spend all this money back into the business, and that means the business is dying. Um, uh, so therefore, it is the responsibility of every business owner out there to maximize, absolutely maximize the profit. And it's not because that profit is going to go all to them. It's because now they have. Uh, spare capacity to do all sorts of different things to improve the business. And that improvement is going to benefit the employees and the customers. Love it. Um, so yeah. my, my view is that everybody, everybody who is not trying to maximize profit by increasing the prices to the absolute maximum level are doing a disservice to every element of the business, including the customer. Uh, because the customer potentially would benefit from the business doing a better job and paying a little bit more money for it. Because it's not a lot of money, it's a little bit more money. Um, and then every uh, every party to, to this will benefit, the business owner, the employees, the business, and the customer. Sorry, sorry for the rent. No, 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 it's not a rant. I agree with you 100%. I think that your employees benefit because they have the ability to make better money. Your business has the ability to grow. If you're doing well and you're giving back to your community, the community benefits from those prices. The vendors benefit from you charging more by getting a better deal on the stuff so you can have better margins because the, the more margins you have, the more you can expand your menu, you can do specials. You prove that by having that mindset, you go from, oh, we're just a cafe. Well, now we're a restaurant. Okay, now we're dark kitchens. So I think all of that stuff is, is spot on. Greg, um, and exactly what you're saying. Is there anything else you want to add to that before we go? No, that's it. That's it. I just, that was just a, a, a community announcement. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I think it's 100% exactly what you said. I think we can't be afraid of charging what our worth is and getting the most out of it. And if we have high quality products, we shouldn't be afraid to charge the high quality price for it. Um, thank you everyone for listening in. Thank you, Greg, for calling in all the way from Melbourne, Australia. It's awesome. I appreciate it. Um, I'm excited to hear more about what third way cafe does in the future. I will definitely be reaching out to you. Maybe we'll do a part two in the future and get some more questions over to you so we can talk some more. Cause I have a lot of thoughts and things like that. And I'm just so curious about things. I want to review your menu and uh, get down and dirty a little bit more and then figure out, um, you know, how we can do a part two. I'd love to. And maybe we could talk about specifically some of your dark uh, kitchen concepts and what those look like and how you develop them, if that's okay with you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's let's do it. Uh, thank you very much for your interest. Uh, it's always it's always fun to talk about what what we do. Um, and uh, yeah, we haven't talked to, in in great detail about in individual things that we do, and certainly we could. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And everyone in the audience, thank you guys for listening in. Thank you for sharing the podcast. Thank you for uh, word of mouth and giving it to other entrepreneurs or people who want to be food entrepreneurs, humans out there just looking for not to be alone in the entrepreneurial space. I hear all about it and I get the messages. So thank you guys for sharing it. I'm glad this the entrepreneurs on here coming on and, and doing the interviews are making impact. So that's what we want. That's why we're doing this. So thank you guys again for listening in. You can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs or on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So that being said, thank you everyone and we're out. No worries. Thanks, Justin.